Lily, I've been thinking. Things are going okay around here, but our stakeholders, they have expectations, and there's a lot of opportunity for us in this space, and you know, we're just not capitalizing on everything. Randy, are you saying what I think you're saying? I think it's time we do something bold, something innovative, something to shake things up. We need, we need a transformation program. So this is actually something that I would get super excited about. You know, the chance to evaluate how we're working together, overhaul everything and use new tools and just generally have a refresh. But I know some people that would get quite freaked out about the prospect of dramatic change. Exactly. We can't do this half-arsed, which is why I brought on two experts to advise us on how to do transformation right. Two people who have actually helped lead successful transformations. So today we're going to chat with Martina Hodgeshell and Teresa Lighty. It would be very nice to get some expert advice on this. So let's get right to the chat. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Martina, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast tonight. Thanks for having us. I'm going to ask you before we jump into conversation properly, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen you two speak as a double act or hasn't worked with either of you, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction? How did you get into product and what are you doing these days? Uh, Martina, why don't you go first? Absolutely. So I started out in the 90s looking at how can, uh, from a design and innovation background, how can we make the internet more people friendly and really carry that through to, you know, uh, looking at how do you then create the innovation practices in organizations, whether that's uh, in, in tech organizations, in consultancies and, uh, and design agencies to really look at, you know, how do we create better products for people? How do we solve interesting problems and uh, valuable problems for people? And I found uh, what was really interesting is the question about how do we solve the problems outside of those practices in the organization to actually set those teams and those practices up for success. That's how I got to business transformation today. What about you, Teresa? So started in a slightly different place. Um, I actually started in management consulting and kind of doing traditional org design, operational strategy work, but lived in San Francisco. So, you know, you were kind of required to go do a startup um, if you lived there at that point in time. So went and did several, and that's actually where I was introduced to product and, and started applying the practices and moving into those roles. And as I finished my time in startups, I realized there was this opportunity to kind of put the two parts of my career together. And I felt like these these different practices were going to have a lot of applicability with bigger companies, but only if you also looked at, as Martina said, the kind of the ecosystem that surrounded the teams. And so I have for a number of years now either led or supported different uh, companies who are going through these transformations and bringing these practices into their kind of core. 
And Martina, I know you and I have both worked either uh, at or with some very big, challenging companies, although we never overlapped at any of them at the same time. And uh, when we first got to talking, there was something that about this this approach that really uh, made me want to learn more. And it's this whole thing around when I work with a lot of product people, they all have that same uh, that same frustration at times of I can't get anything done. You know, is it me? Do I suck at my job or is it the environment that's the problem? So how do I know? How do I, what are the, the common challenges? How do I recognize if I'm not very good and it's, or is it just imposter syndrome or is it just this environment is set up so that nobody could really succeed? That's a great question, actually. And um, um, working with different organizations, what we often see is uh when we start uh, discovery to look at you know how the team's working today, what we see is there are great uh, great product managers and their teams trying to do the right thing, but they're not quite seeing the not quite seeing the results that they would expect from the work they're doing. And what we're often seeing is things like um, uh, the organization is quite siloed. Right, decisions get made before uh, uh, product teams get involved in terms of what should be made. Or um, and then don't have the capability to really iterate the way towards a better outcome. With that, often we also see um, um, uh, really management of outputs, looking at you know uh, looking at success by delivering on time and on budget, and uh, and not have we delivered value to the customer and to the organization. So you call this a, a kind of an operating model. Um, what encompasses that operating model, that the rules by which a company operates, I guess? Like, what does that cover? Yeah, so it's that's one of those phrases that gets thrown around a lot. So I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> for us, it is how do teams come together to collaborate across functions? So there's a structural element to the operating model. Then there's also very much you know, at a, at a really kind of generic level, how did decisions get made? And that starts with from a strategy lens that goes into like, where are we going to focus on and what are we going to fund and do? And then all the way into how teams actually do work. So kind of that soup to nuts decision-making process um, is a really important part of it too. And then there is definitely the ways of working within the teams. That is an element of it, but it has to be looked at in the context of those other pieces as well. And so it involves not just you know, practitioners, but also middle managers and leaders, and then collectively how they work together. And do you find that in a lot of companies, the operating model is the output of just instinctively how some of the people in the business work? It's not like a conscious decision to work in a particular way. There's elements of both, to be honest. Um, You're right. Some of it is driven by this is the way I've always worked. This is the model that I know and I'm familiar with. And so I, you know, bring it along the way with me, but it's also a, um, an element of the comfort level of, of leaders too. And as far as where they want to operate and, you know, the level of detail that they're used to seeing or being in, and they, they make conscious decisions about that from an operating model perspective in terms of, you know, spans of control, in terms of how we need to report things, et cetera, that are very conscious. And it's based on their own comfort, sometimes related to, to leadership. So that actually is one of the, the big areas we work with in this operating model to change is how do I, as a leader, provide the right priorities, the right context, guardrails maybe, but then give teams the ability to figure out the quickest path to value within that context. 
So product people, to, uh, you know, we, we're leaders at a certain level. And some of us are sitting up in that, that rarefied air of the C-suite or, or, you know, at the, the high table. But a lot of us are somewhere closer to the middle of the organization. How can we influence teams when we don't have that organizational authority? What's the, the best way for us to go out and start working with people who maybe work in a very different way? So... It, we were working with a um, large uh, retailer, home improvement retailer, and this company was just starting the transition from working in a very kind of let's do a project and then we break up and we go do something else to a true product model. And these several of their large initiatives, um, they had to on a cadence go present to the exec team and talk to them about their um, you know about what they were doing. And so as we started to work with one of these product teams, we said, hey, hey, to your point, Randy, this is this is your opportunity to influence more broadly outside of your direct area. So how might we go tell this story in a very different way? You know, yeah, you may have to do the regular reports, but let's actually change the conversation. And so they went in with the things that that you're all very familiar with. But like this is the problem space. This was the risky assumption. This is how we tested it. This was our hypothesis. And the interesting part was it was a very experienced exec team, several who had come up through the ranks. And so we're from merchandising and things like that. And they thought, we know the answer here. We, we already know what the answer is. We just want to know where you're at. And the aha moment was they actually realized they were solving for the wrong problem. And it was literally one of those light bulb moments. And the team, by virtue of coming in and talking about it that way, saved you know millions of dollars, uh, ultimately, for not heading down a path. The other really cool part of it was the CEO said, I want everyone who comes to talk to us now to use this format. And so from that point forward, that one team actually enabled a much broader, you know, impact because they, they chose to tell their story in a very fact, you know, fact-based way. So it was really, really neat experience. Do you find that um, when people kind of go to the C-suite or the kind of the, um, the leadership team with very sort of product-led research and um, decision-making, that it always works that way? Because... <laughs> in my experience it's not the case um and you know there can sometimes be a certain element of perhaps even um just fear of this language and terminology that they're unfamiliar with um that makes people feel worried about what product people are talking about and that they might not might not understand does is that is that your experience as well or so, yes, absolutely. And I think uh, it's interesting to see, um, you know, that difference in language, the difference in uh, uh, that fear of not understanding the other. I think it goes both ways or multidirectional uh, across across functions. And I think it's really important to, uh, A, to try and translate into, into the language of the other, create that empathy for, so how does business uh, communicate success? You know, what goals do they have? How can I... Uh, how can I communicate what I'm solving for, what I'm trying to achieve? How can I translate perhaps a, a customer outcome in context of business outcome um, and vice versa? Um, being able to demonstrate that um, what you're doing is actually contributing and adding value to to uh, what they're trying to achieve, I think is, uh, is a really critical baseline for being able to communicate with uh, with leadership, for example. 
Let me dig deeper into that one for a moment. So mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we talk about in product a lot is the idea that we should fail fast, learn from it, and iterate. Um, but I've advised any number of people that I work with never to, to go to the senior management and say, we failed, but at least <laughs> we did it fast. Um, I try and advise them, okay, we need to change the terminology. It's about learning. It's about uh, cost avoidance and risk avoidance and, and lots of nice uh, phrases that work better with those type of people. But how do you approach this? What's the, the, the way that you help to, you know, when you're working with these organizations, how do you embed this in so that the communication is clearly understood at both levels? Absolutely. And, um, uh, first of all, a data-driven approach, you know, where we're trying to measure outcomes. Uh, I'm sure uh, a topic that uh, is very familiar and uh, don't, uh, don't mind which uh, format you use, whether it's OKRs or others, but having clear objectives and measures of success uh, are metrics that are actually numbers you can share with, okay, we're moving closer to uh, to achieving this outcome or moving further away. What did we learn along the way? What was the data different decision that was uh, that we needed to make rather than hmm, my gut feel or um, uh, my personal opinion? So I think it's, it's very important to create that those data points that inf uh, create that learning to make a more informed decision to remove uncertainty. And that tends to uh, work well for leadership or for uh, for any other part of the organization as well in terms of communication. Uh, it's just important to not to say, oh, we just, you know, we just failed fast. That was, uh, you know, seems, uh, seems almost reckless <laughs> or irresponsible. It's interesting that, you know, to your point, Randy, I think, and, and you know, Lily, a little of what you were saying earlier too, Failure is one of the loaded terms. I found it like mm -hmm. one of the most loaded words in transformation work. And, but also, it, you know, it's important to not be hung up on, I have to call it this. I have to call it a hypothesis. I have to call it failure, whatever. The, the point is more, how do I get the, the concept across in a way that actually someone's going to embrace? And it doesn't matter if it's the exact proper, you know, language or whatever. It's more about trying to get people to be open to the concept and the idea. You can add the other things as you go, but getting them to embrace even being, you know, willing to listen to you is the, is the first step, really. That's a really good point. And one I was just about to ask. So how do you get people to listen to you? You know, how I guess it's all about trust at the end of the day and kind of building credibility within the team in order to gain trust and then become a more empowered product person or or product team um but how do you get to that point if you're not in you know if you're not empowered in the first place yeah i we have a lot of teams and people that will come to us and we'll start by saying, well, I, I just can't do any of that because my manager won't let me. And I think our very respectful pushback is, yeah, you can do some of that. There is an area that you do control where you could go do some kind of a quick experiment, just as an example, um, and do something differently. And then how do you use what you learn from that to continue the conversation? So it's about sort of taking small bites, not necessarily trying to have a, a big change out of the gate. Um, and, you know, 
inviting people to participate that and very participate with you in very targeted ways. So you're bringing them along the journey a little bit. Hey, so-and-so from compliance, you know, I appreciate that normally we have to go through it this way. You know, how might we, I, I understand your outcome, super aware of it. So not trying to avoid the outcome, but how might we work together a little bit different on it? So finding some champions that you can start to bring along with you, but you know, having um, you've got to have, measured expectations. It's not going to change overnight. Transformations are, are longer term things. And, and, you know, there will be success and then they do get momentum and go faster, but you have to start somewhere and be a little patient. So when we talk about these transformations, I've been part of, oh God, I don't even know how many at this point. And one of the things that always frustrated me about them is there was never a definition of success for them. There was never mm-hmm. a point where we would have finished the transformation is that just the experiences I've had or is that uh, a common problem? How do we, and if it is, how do we avoid it? Great question. I think uh, two parts to it. On the one hand, it's very much like a product, right? It's uh, an, the operating model, not the transformation. The operating model should never be done uh, per se. It should be a living, evolving, uh, organic thing that we're constantly improving. But um, that doesn't give us a... a um, that doesn't stop us from actually making progress from current state towards a future state. So what we would advise is, you know, have uh, transformation goals, have uh, transformation objectives, but also measures of success. So you need to have some transformation metrics to see, are we moving in the right direction? Are we creating the impact we're expecting? If not, what do we need to do differently to actually be able to achieve those? So absolutely defining uh where we need to get to, what we want to achieve, and seeing that we're actually checking in regularly, that we're seeing that we're actually moving in the right direction. So what would be um, an example of transformation metrics? That sounds super important and very interesting. I'd be really, yeah, really interested to know how, how you can measure that. Yeah, so a couple, uh, back to our point around learning that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago. So so speed to learning or speed to validation of assumptions that you have and being able to really kind of show that your learning velocity is increasing um, is a really big one. And, and an earlier indicator versus speed to market, which people tend to think about, like, can I get things out faster? But it's really more how, how quickly are we able to learn and validate and know that we're doing the right thing. Um, there are also some some interesting one. It depends upon the context, but if you think about this idea of empowered teams being able to decide, you know, their their path to value, um, you know, we have a client in the fintech space that we work with that has had a lot of challenges prioritizing, and so we have worked with them to have kind of an overall opportunity backlog. They're a, they're a smaller company, so they're able to do this, and so we're measuring as part of the transformation how many things just get started outside of that process by somebody deciding like, Hey, I want you to go do this. And so, you know, we want it to go through that, that opportunity backlog. So the teams have the ability to then take that and run. So those are a couple examples of things that we've looked at. Fancy leveling up your product management skills. Always. Are you ready to take that next step in your product career? Of course. Well, you're in luck. Mind the Product is offering interactive remote workshops where you can dedicate two half days to honing your product management craft with a small group of peers. 
You'll be coached through your product challenges by your expert trainer and walk away with frameworks and tools you can use right away. You can choose from product management foundations, communication and alignment, metrics for product managers, or mapping to solve product problems. Find out more and book your place on a monthly workshop at mindtheproduct.com slash workshops. That's mindtheproduct.com slash workshops. It sounds like there's, you know, different ways of going into this. And is it always bespoke for a different company or there are models that work and are repeatable? You know, we hear about the Spotify model. We hear about safe. We hear about any number of other things. And I mean, I'm allergic to, to hearing these stories at this point, but I'm curious, do you have a different viewpoint on this? Uh, I think that's a great question because we often get asked, so which model are we actually going to implement? What are we going to apply? Or similarly, you know, what's the one book I need to read? And I mean, I empathize, understand that this is a time of, you know, uncertainty. We don't really know where the journey is going with this. Uh, give us, give, give us some comfort in knowing, uh, give, give us something tangible, something concrete, but, um, to be honest, it's uh, it's not dissimilar to a product uh, parallel. Again, we're not just copying and pasting what our competitors are doing, but we really need to look at what makes sense in our context. What are some of the priorities that we have in terms of uh, uh, in terms of goals? What is stopping us from achieving those right now? Um, how do we need to resolve that? So it's definitely contextual. It is based on uh, on common uh, principles, on common best practices, but not uh, not a fixed model of you know as you were just saying, like, oh, we, we're going to implement Spotify model or something like that. Do you think um, as a product manager, you can run uh, a business transformation product uh, project yourself? If you kind of see the need for one in the business that you're in, can you instigate it? <laughs> I, you can absolutely instigate it. Uh, and, you know, as Martina said, there are a lot of we try to think about how we apply the product principles in the context of transformation because we think they work. It's not something that's just exclusive to, uh, you know, product development. Uh, I think that you would have to, as a product manager, learn some of those other parts of the ecosystem and how to influence those above and beyond your specific product knowledge. But uh, we're big fans of get started. To, so don't don't wait for everybody to give you permission and everything to be lined up perfectly because you'll be waiting forever. So if you have an ability to take on something and be able to influence it in a positive way and use your knowledge as a product manager, we would be, you know, certainly encourage that. When you say get started, so there's a couple of different ways of doing that. And it's, yeah, I've certainly been guilty in the past of trying to go big straight away. Um it, do you, should you be trying to influence the whole system or should you be working on something small and trying to get credibility with that and, and get the ball rolling? Because, it, you know, if we take that approach, sometimes it just feels like we're not doing that much. On the one hand, you really need to look at all the components uh, together to really look at uh, what's influencing what, what's uh uh, where, uh, where are the uh, challenges? What's not working well right now in terms of all components of the operating model? Uh, but then you really need to prioritize, you know, where are the uh, most important sticking points? What do you need to address? And then you start small. Then you're absolutely iterating, uh, figuring out uh, in terms of designing a future state of 
um, of the operate of those aspects of the operating model. Um, you start small, you iterate, um, you try it with a, with a small group of people. Uh, once you see it working well, you can scale that up. So so then you're it's a start small and scale as you as you're gaining confidence in, uh, in it uh, and removing uncertainty in what the right solution is. So is the real secret patience? Hmm, a little bit. <laughs> with, a, with maybe some targeted inpatients at times as well, too, to help make sure <laughs> things are, are moving forward. But, yeah, I mean, you, you can't expect it to change overnight, but you also can't be complacent and think, okay, well, we got this far, so we're good good enough. You know, if you really want to see things fundamentally change, there's, there's a need for some change makers who are willing to push a little bit. <laughs> More often than not, I find uh, there's more uh, more inertia. Like uh, it's it's more comfortable to to stay where you are rather than pushing the transformation forward. So it's more often like needing to nudge it forward rather than slowing it down. And how about making time for transformation? Um, you know, if you're working in a a busy company and um, you know everyone's really busy. Obviously, it takes time to change from the way that you're currently working and try something different and new. Like, how how do you advise people on trying to make time for this? It's it's the classic problem that I think every single you know company we've worked with has this issue because it's really about kind of reassembling the airplane in flight. It's the classic piece of that. So what we we encourage in a couple of different ways. Certainly part of it is educating leaders about the time that it does take because people don't tend to factor that in. They want the outcome. They don't want to necessarily be able to put in the effort. So part of that is education. The other part is to think about there are some things you're going to do anyway. So how about you just do them differently? And so where are those opportunities? Because they're more than you think. And as opposed to just saying, okay, I'm just going to carry on this way. Okay, let me just change it up a little bit. And then I'm already starting to apply some of the things that I've learned. So it is, it's, it's a huge uh, point of tension and one that, you know, we face, but there are ways around it as well. Um, so we've been talking a lot about how we work and how we communicate, but I've done things with people and we've, had some success and then it gets to a point where it has to go to governance it has to wait for a committee and it just stops dead in its tracks because of the way that uh, the the company is making decisions is there something about challenging that bringing it to a different level and just challenging the way the company works from that perspective how do we how do we address that and bring that to the fore absolutely and uh when we say we're uh, addressing uh, all aspects uh uh, different components of the operating model. This is a foundational one that needs to align with the uh, with uh, the collaboration structures, with the ways of working as well. Because if governance and decision making and um, and planning doesn't align to your point, everything grinds to a halt. Um, that's not just part of uh, how we're re- rethinking the operating model, but also how we're approaching the transformation work itself. If that is governed in that way, this is also not going to move forward in uh, in a successful way or at, at the kind of pace and achieving the kind of outcomes that we're trying to achieve. So um, we're really looking at sponsorship and buy-in from senior leadership but we also want a cross-functional t- uh, uh, team that can dedicate itself to and has the permission to actually do this work and figure out what does the future state look like and also bring a lot of other uh, uh, practitioners uh, 
across the organization on that journey. So this is not something that is done to you by other people. But uh, I think it's really important to have a dedicated people to have permission to make decisions to do the work, but also have a leadership uh, bought in and supporting and, uh, and enabling this change. It's, it's definitely one of the hardest things to tackle because when you're, you know, coming from an environment where there are a lot of steering committees where, you know, lots of people have permission to say no <laughs> and things like that. And one of the things that we try to work people to work with people to, to figure out is you keep saying you want this outcome where you're able to do things faster and where you're able to, you know, really understand the customer and really be responsive. But then you say that you want everyone to participate in all these steering committees. Those are not going to work together. And so, you know, how are we going to start to change that dynamic? And, and you just have to be really kind of, you know, call people out on the, the disconnect between those concepts. Um, but the other part of it is that it also means that the teams, the, the cross-functional teams Martina was referring to, they have to be really transparent about what they're doing as well. Because otherwise people think, okay, I, I backed off. I'm not, you know, I'm not coming and, and, you know, looking at everything you're doing and having you come in front of me once a week. But you need to help me be comfortable. And that requires transparency in terms of what teams are doing. Is there a is there a good time to take on business transformation within a kind of company's growth like life cycle or, or whatever? Because um, I imagine there are times when you're you know as a as a business you may be way more up against it than other times, or maybe you're just always up against it. <laughs> but, um, you know, is there a good time where you, where you know you look at kind of what's happening in the business and you think right actually this is a really good time to just put a stake in the ground, review the way that we're working and everything and, um, and, and look to make improvements across the board. So an interesting um, thing. So when, when COVID started, we were working with a, a couple of different clients, um, you know, one in the healthcare space. So very, very immediately impacted. Uh, another one was a, a large insurance company. And the interesting part was, if you thought about that, and, I, and if I would have asked, you know, which one do you think slowed down uh, on their transformation initiative, you probably would have guessed the healthcare company because they had all the things happening. They actually put the gas pedal down and went faster and the insurance company backed out. And the, so, so to answer your question, it's like there's never a perfect time. But in, in this way, a lot of things as a result of COVID for that healthcare company, they had a lot of the motivating things that they had been looking for. They were front and present, even though it was a really stressful thing to do in the midst of all the things that they had to be able to handle from a COVID perspective. But they said, if there was ever a time, this is when we're going to do it. So, um, you know, you kind of have to lean into it and never look for all, all the stars are not going to align in a perfect way. Going back to our earlier point, you just have to figure out how to get started. And I imagine um, some people embrace the process more than others, and and some people really struggle. How do you how do you support how do you identify the people that are really struggling, and how do you support them through the, the changes that you're making? Yeah. So how do we identify the people? So so doing stakeholder analysis is very much a part of transformation work, you know, similar again to how you would think about if you were you know, looking at a product and, and understanding what do I need to do to get people to change their behavior? What are their motivations? So a lot of the techniques that you use from a product lens are also very applicable here. And then you think about, 
you know, understanding their motivations and trying to get them to change their behaviors, what's going to help them get there? And, um, you know, in some cases, it's just pure education. They feel way out of their depth. And so, you know, it's super, you know, concerning and uh, makes them very nervous to think about doing something different. So how do I, how do I get them comfortable? Sometimes it's just showing people, you know, what does good look like? I'm not sure. And so there's a variety of different techniques, you know, some, again, that would be familiar to the audience in terms of that they've used from a product lens. And there are some people who are not going to come along. And so you don't want to focus on them to start with. You know, you have your, your traditional folks who will be the early adopters. They want to go. They want to figure it out. They'll bring along a set of people with them. And then the others will just decide to do something else or, or whatever if they really, truly don't want to be a part of the process. So we've been talking a lot about larger companies, and you've talked about how it's different for them. Uh, depending on where they are in their business cycle. You know, the, the, you were just talking about the insurance company. It was, uh, sound very much like the never waste a good crisis type of moment. Um, but is this different for companies of different sizes? Is there unique challenges that come with scale versus being a startup or being a scale up and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we definitely see different patterns at, at different size, different scale, different maturity of an organization. Um, that's often an inflection point when a startup has started uh, really growing, scaling rapidly, uh, uh, often come uh, come to a point where there's a lot of new people coming to the organization and all of a sudden you need just more scaffolding to align everybody. And it's, it's that point where you really not need to be intentional, intentionally designing your operating model to have that fine balance of enough guidance, but uh, not stopping that, uh, uh, having that uh, opportunity to innovate at speed. You know, uh, the larger an organization gets, the more governance that put in space, uh, in place, the easier it is, is for that innovation must, uh, to slow down and, uh, but yeah, so the, the scale up a really interesting problem space. And the second point there is really often, you know, uh, as organizations get more successful, they want to hire in more uh, experienced leaders from large proven organizations. And, and they come in with experience of, hey, I've made this work at this enterprise and I'm bringing this uh, level of uh, success of governance of processes into this organization. And and it might just be a little bit overkill for that earlier stage in a much smaller in a much smaller organization. On the other hand, when we're looking at enterprises, you know, uh, really having come uh, through innovation, through uh, finding successful business models, trying to protect that and for very good reasons, trying to put more bureaucracy in place to uh, uh, to make sure that we're uh, that we're not messing up the successful thing, and trying to figure out. Um, but how, what are the unintentional consequences of that? How have we slowed people down and trying to get uh, their work done? We've worked with so many uh, teams where they spend more time trying to you know, procure uh, uh, tools or resources or try and get uh, uh, um, experiments signed off rather than spending time on designing and delivering on, on products and services. So really trying to find that balance and figuring out how do we best enable that while managing risk and uh, and uh, uncertainty. And you mentioned earlier, um, you know, that business transformation is uh, can take quite a long time and getting to that point of, a, of an empowered team. Um, so how long does it take? <laughs> um, you've obviously worked on a few of these um, projects. Like, are we talking months or years? 
Yeah, it's 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 usually years. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's big bang. I get all the benefit at the end. You know, the benefit definitely and the impacts can start very quickly. It's about and, and the size of the enterprise, of course, the organization matters on this. But um, it's also once you kind of do the first piece, you realize that the next piece is attainable and you can actually kind of go a little bit bigger than you might have thought out of the gate as well. So it gives you that opportunity to continue to expand it in a way that makes sense for your company. But, you know, all the ones that we've done, we've never seen one, you know, done in under, you know, an under year. They're always multi-year efforts. Mm. Amazing. Martina, Teresa, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been really great talking to you and hearing about your experience and expertise with um, with uh, lots of companies creating, transforming businesses. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. I just know that there are some people out there that hear the words business transformation and get really excited. Maybe some people get a bit nervous, but I have three young boys. So I just immediately think of, you know, Bumblebee with a business style makeover. Yeah, I mean, I prefer my business transformations had Optimus Prime as well, but I haven't been that lucky yet. Anyway, (laughs) Please like and subscribe. And if you have any feedback at all, if you have any advice on how we can be even better at transformation, then do hit us up on LinkedIn or Twitter or ESP. I think most people are communicating with us by ESP. (laughs) That's the normal way to do it these days. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and... Me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm-hmm.